This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rana McBerto with your host. Thank you so kind for being a part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today. What is it about today? What is it about today? Uh, well, well, we have a great guest. Great guests, you're going to love hearing this conversation. But we're not going to start there. We're going to go ahead and start with what is the program. Well, let's go ahead and start with what folks are talking about. Michael Rodnan, GOP splits open over January 6th commission vote. Republicans don't want conservatives learning the truth. Trump is in large part responsible for the treasonous insurrection that happened on January 6th, and it's their own fellow conservatives who are to blame for the events of that day. Those conservatives who own, uh, uh, who own up to these facts will no longer be Republicans, but become independents as Trump retains a leadership role in the GOP, and they are purging anti-Trump conservatives. You guys are going to like my, the guy that I have on today because he, again, is one of the leaders forming that anti-Trump group. Uh, Miles Taylor, the guy who wrote that particular anonymous uh, uh, anonymous story in the Washington, in the New York Times that went viral. Uh, he was the chief of staff of the secretary uh, secretary of the um, Homeland Security. He's on with us today. He's going to tell those quite those stories, and he's going to tell you what made him completely switch, completely switch from being a supporter of Trump. In as much as they all knew that Trump was an incompetent, you know what? Frankly. The result of such a commission, Trump will be the downfall of their party, party, as many of those politicians and pundits who incited the insurrection will take, be taken away in handcuffs for their actions. Julie Van Astel, good afternoon, my friend. Michael Rodden has another one where he says, Congress, woman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez criticizes Biden amid Israeli attacks. If only one group of your citizens are allowed full rights, while others are excluded or otherwise treated as second class, your nation isn't a democracy, though. Whether you call it a flawed democracy, an oligarchy, or a theocracy vary by circumstances. Bridge MCP linked this article yesterday. It's worth a share. Let's see what it says. U.S. Congresswoman Ocasio. Thank you very much, Bridge MCP. And lastly, from Michael Rodnan, Stephanie Decker. The building where Al Jazeera's office is housed has just been taken down by Israeli airstrikes. There was a warning and evacuated. It houses offices and private homes. I can't believe it. The video. Is that, I think that happened a while back, right? Yeah, Al Jazeera's offices were taken down. But actually, the AP is in there as well. And lastly, from Michael, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, this is happening with the support of the United States. I don't care how many spokespersons try to spin it. The U.S. vetoed the U.N.'s call for ceasefire. If the Biden administration can't stand up to an ally, who can it stand up to? How can they credibly claim to stand for human rights? This is institutional gravity. The United States simply cannot oppose Israel or other states that they have some sort of an alliance with, no matter what they do. But these states are never shy when they want to criticize the United States of America. 
Uh, what we're seeing inside of Palestinian, Palestine right now is genocide by the Israeli military. The Israeli military is blowing people up that had nothing to do with rocket firing. They're maiming, killing, murdering people in Palestine. That's a fact. And that is not anti-Jewish. That is just a fact. Uh, I'm sure most Jewish people don't want to see the carnage that's occurring right now in Palestine. Palestine is an open-air, or the Gaza, is an open-air prison. They cannot escape on through the water because it's guarded by, uh, by Israel. They cannot escape through their border. I'm maybe on the wrong street. The border with, um, with, with uh, Egypt. Let me tell you, folks, it is a prison. Gaza is a prison. And to see what's happening there and to see America not give the support that they need. I wanted to give you guys a view of, um, of what, it is, what it is like. Because this is no joke. They are in a prison. They can't leave. They, if you can't leave, you can't bring things that will. You cannot d- d- get your economic system going. They are imprisoned in their own land, the Gaza Strip. But anyhow, um, that's not the subject today. Deborah John, welcome from LA. Madeline Corrin, welcome. Bridge MCP says, the U.S. Biden stopped the U.N. three times already and sold Israel arms. Why? <laughs> Don't ask me. Uh, Bruce Pollard, Israel is complicated unless everyone adopts and lives the same basic rules of existence. Yes, it is, because we have to understand. You can, I wrote this on Twitter a few days ago where I said, you cannot say that Israel is a Jewish state and at the same time a democracy unless all people who live in Israel are Jewish. It's that simple. You cannot have a Jewish state. You cannot have a Christian state. You cannot have a Muslim state. You have to have a state that allows you to be who you want to be. Otherwise, you cannot have a democracy because it immediately means that people, other people have rights that you don't. It's not rocket science. It's just the truth. Trump lashes out at prosecutors over the criminal intent. Yeah, I, I don't understand that what's going on there, but it's, it, it's quite interesting. But anyhow, I'm going to start with Miles Taylor first. Uh, of course, I hadn't yet queued it up, so I'll talk while I go ahead and queue it up. But I think what you're going to find with this guy that was, I mean, he was there with Trump. He was in the Oval Office with Trump. He did all these stuffs with the guy, but they always knew that Trump was a crook. And you're going to see in this interview where he says, what was the last straw for him? Anyhow, let's go ahead and listen to Miles Taylor, and then we'll take it on the other side. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rodham. Berto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being with us. We have a very special guest today, and you guys are going to want to listen to this guy because he's one of the guys who busted the thing wide open. Miles Taylor is a public 
policy leader, best-selling author, and current senior fellow at the R Street Institute in Washington, D.C., where he focuses on emerging uh, technologies and public policy. Previously, Miles was Google's U.S. lead for advanced technology and security strategy, responsible for promoting next-generation cyber defense, digital security, and innovation in areas such as quantum computing, what I like, and artificial intelligence. He also served as the company's head of national security policy engagement. But in 2018, Taylor published an anonymous opinion piece in the New York Times, blowing the whistle on presidential misconduct. As anonymous, he later released the book, A Warning, a first-hand account of the instability inside President Trump's White House and administration. Miles Taylor, welcome to Politics and Right. How are you doing today? Hey, my friend, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm glad you've got me. And for folks that are watching on video, I, I'm not trying to look like Nelly. I mean, I, I would like to think I'm as good of a rapper as Nelly, but the bandaid under my eye uh, is from a less than glorious episode. Well, you said it had something to do with a puppy. I wanted to give it a better, a better thing. Like saying this, that, that is a battle scars that you survived from all the things that you did in the past. But anyway, we want to get started in this fashion. Um, the Republican Party is in, serious, is in a serious dilemma. Look, you're on a very progressive show who wants to have a very strong conservative uh, backstop to make sure that when we put ideas together, we can get the best. We are not having that right now. And one of the things you did with your article in, first of all, let, let's, let's, let's back up. Why did you really write that article as anonymous? Yeah, look, I mean, the... Uh perspective of distance from that decision makes it all the all the more clear. Um, the big picture was that it was my opinion based on firsthand experience with the president, this White House and this administration, that the president was incredibly unfit for office. And not only that, was, was truly a danger to the fabric of our republic. Now, keep in mind, again, I'm mostly a lifelong Republican. I was I was a Democrat as, as a young guy. You guys lost me uh, at a young age. <laughs> maybe you'll maybe you'll That's get fine. me back. But, uh, you know, I went in wanting this man to succeed, not having high expectations for a man of such deficient character as Donald Trump, but then being even more appalled than I would have expected about the way he conducted himself in office. That's the big picture reason. The immediate proximate cause, as I've told some people, was the night I wrote it. I got woken up by a phone call in the middle of the night in Australia, halfway around the world, where I was supposed to be meeting with our intelligence partners about serious threats to the country. And instead, I get a phone call from the White House Deputy Chief of Staff who says, the president wants the flags raised back up around the country. What he meant was Senator John McCain, who just passed away, was being honored across America because DHS had said lower the flags to half mass out of respect for the late senator. Trump hated John McCain. He was so mad and he wanted the flags back up. I was so galled by that decision, I think partly because McCain had been a personal hero of mine and one of the few Republicans that I still had to look up to. And he just passed away and we were left with people like Donald Trump leading the party. Uh, and in that moment, I thought, I I'm so disgusted by this. Someone just needs to say something. All of us inside the administration, almost all of us, knew what was going on, knew the president was incompetent. Most people were trying to keep bad ideas in the box. Um, but there came a point where those efforts to keep bad ideas in the box were no longer successful. Trump just started doing what he wanted to do. And as people have often said, the guardrails came off. So I felt like someone needed to say something, and I was frustrated that the cabinet secretaries that saw the situation the same way as me weren't speaking up. Well, you're so the, I decided to write the piece. 
that, and it was a great piece, let me just tell you. But I, I, I always have the question when I read the piece, did anybody else lead you to do that? Did they sort of inch you on like, oh, you're the, you're the guy who has the guts to do this. So let's go ahead and see if, if you get caught well, you really don't care. Yeah. Well, look, I, I wish that had been the case. I mean, um, I secretly wished that the majority of the cabinet had you know, enlisted me to write that thing on their behalf. And I happily would have been the fall guy. I mean, I, I, I wanted those people to, to make their voice known. It was quite frankly, the disappointment that those people weren't speaking up that led me to write it. And, you know, I didn't hide my name out of, out of fear or cowardice. I'm happy for people to accuse me of being a coward, but um, I wrote it without my name on it because I knew that Donald Trump was the master of the politics of personal destruction. And he uses that to distract from ideas. So the only way to get him to confront the actual ideas in my original op-ed, and the ideas being that his own team thought he was incompetent, two, uh, was to remove my name from the equation. But my plan all along, as I later said in the book, was to reveal myself before the election because I wanted Trump to have to confront the ideas for as long as possible. But in the end game, I wanted to make clear that we all needed to unmask ourselves when it came to telling the truth about Donald Trump and shouldn't hide behind those masks was not terribly convenient for my personal life. Obviously, it, it caused my life to blow up, but I knew that we had to do that to send uh, that signal. So hopefully it made an impact. Uh, hopefully we convinced people of you know, what Trump's character really was and, and got enough Republicans to flip their votes for Joe Biden. First of all, that is why you're on here. Not only did it make an impact, but it needs to make a further impact. That, that goes without saying. Now that said, um, uh, Miles, um, beforehand, tell us the name of your book, because I want, I want to make sure people read. It's good read. Yeah, uh, the book is called A Warning, and um, I'd like to think that it hasn't completely aged now that uh, Trump has been defeated, because the warning was two parts. I mean, one, it was a warning about, about a man of deficient character and why he shouldn't be reelected president. But it was also a warning about us. It was a warning about the direction that we're going as a country and as a people and the need to reflect on our national character, not just the character of one man, but the character of a nation. And, and I think that warning has still yet to be heeded. I'm grateful for all of you that heeded the first warning and, and helped get a, a truly authoritarian man out of office. But that second warning really needs to be addressed. We need some focused time and attention and soul searching as a country about where we're going, namely, Egberto, where you started the podcast, that being the Republican Party. That's where a lot of the soul searching needs to happen. And, uh, and, and I think that's where a lot of the corrosive influence our on our democracy is coming from right now. I mean, I can't believe as a Republican I'm saying this, but the GOP is quite literally at the moment one of the biggest threats to our democracy because of the Republican Party leadership's unwillingness to simply tell the truth. And what's more, party leaders like Kevin McCarthy would rather bury the truth than face it. And we just saw you know, recently his decision uh, to to oppose uh, an inquiry into the events of January, oh, January 6th, 6th, the insurrection yeah. at the Capitol. Now, look, Miles, you knew who Donald Trump was before you went to work for him. So here's yeah. the question. Did you go to work for him because you knew we needed patriots to stand up, having a guy like that in power? Or did you go in there with the expectation that maybe he'll be an incompetent president, but he'll have good people around him? Yeah, I mean, look, what I, you know, the, the day after I started in the administration, I had a friend reach out, uh, a friend who's a, a Democrat, who said almost exactly this question, said, 
why are you working for this guy? Because my friend knew how I felt about Donald Trump. Of the 17 candidates in the field in 2020, he was number 17 out of 17. I did not want that man to win the White House. But I responded to my friend, I'm not going in to work for Donald Trump. I'm going in to work for you. I'm going in to work at DHS to prevent cyber attacks against our country, to protect the country from terrorist threats, man-made and natural disasters, and, and other homeland security challenges. Ironically, though, managing a 250,000 person department, I had to spend most of my time managing up towards one person because he was so unstable, because he was so unwilling to focus. And, and that's really, frankly, what scared me the most. And when I quit the administration and then I later wrote a piece in the Washington Post and said, look, my primary reason for exiting here is I think this man is actually a danger to the homeland security of the United States because Donald Trump couldn't focus on those serious threats that I went in hoping we could address and confront to defend the American people. And I actually think the country is vastly less safe as a result of his presidency. And I don't just mean in the political sense and threats to our democracy and the insurrection that happened here in the nation's capital. I mean, real dangers to the country from people who want to do us harm, foreign adversaries, terrorists, cyber criminals, we're in greater danger because for four years, Trump largely ignored those problems and delegated them down because he was so obsessed with issues that didn't matter and so obsessed with retribution against his political enemies. Now, um, when, you, when you speak about us being in danger and you talk about it from external sources, don't you think he also awoken? I always talk about our using racism as a tool. Okay, I, I am I'm one who actually know and believe race is a social construct and all that kind of stuff. I have no issues with race, particularly. Uh, I find that the only reason I have to talk about it is because most people have yet to understand it's just a social construct. That said, don't you think he's using that deficiency within most Americans? to pit us against each other and that people like yourself and specifically a young white guy like yourself have to take a more prominent position also on the racial front to kind of calm a lot of what he's starting to construct within a few young people as well. So your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, you know, I think we all hoped that we could get the best out of Trump. I mean, any time a president's elected, whether they're from your party or not, I think the hope should be we want to get the best out of that person. Instead, we saw Donald Trump pander to our absolute worst base instincts uh, as people. And, and part of that uh, is, is the racial animus that he stoked to advance his own policies. Now, if you had said this to me in year one and said, you know, Donald Trump's a bigot, uh, I would have reacted reflexively and said, uh, you know, come on, that's probably not true. You can hate Republican policies and say that they're harmful to minorities, which in some cases, it, look, the party's got to reform. I mean, the party has absolutely got to be a bigger tent party. Those are valid criticisms. But to say that the man himself was a racist, I thought, you know, that's ridiculous. After two and a half years serving in that administration, I left thinking he was unquestionably a bigot because of direct experience. I mean, we had a meeting one time with Trump, where he quite literally told the Secretary of Homeland Security, I want to increase immigration from Denmark, Finland, Iceland, Norway, Sweden. And I want you to end immigration from places like Somalia, Haiti, Ethiopia. What are the differences between those two groups right. of countries? The only thing I can really identify is uh, some of those countries, people have browner skin. And the other ones, they're white, blonde-haired people. 
I mean, that to me was the most directly bigoted comment. I couldn't believe it was coming out of his mouth, but worse than that, Egberto, I couldn't believe that there were you know, 12 other people in the room that were hearing that same thing and didn't want to go tell the American public how disgusting this was. None of those people ever relayed that anecdote publicly as far as I'm aware. Uh, but they should have. You did. Those people should have. Those people should have known better. And I did during the campaign. I mean, my whole point was, you know, people ask me, why'd you wait until the campaign? Well, quite frankly, if I'd come out against Trump the day after I left the administration in my own name, people would have stopped paying attention after a week with this news cycle. We needed them to pay attention to those anecdotes about this man's character just before they were deciding whether to rehire or fire him as president. And damn, did I want them to fire him. So yeah, that, I kept my powder dry for a little while. People can question that tactically, that's fine. But me, I'm, I'm satisfied with the decision and the outcome. Let, let me just give you some kudos here, Miles, uh, because you show an understanding of media dynamics very well. I'm, I'm telling you, I do this every day. And the truth of the matter is every story after it has some, some uh, age on it, has a tendency to get massaged, masticated, and placed into whoever has the dominant sphere. And in, in the case of uh, Donald Trump, he could have used that, that particular portion of his media to get the electoral majority. So you're, 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 you read it exactly right as far as knowing exactly when to release information. You know who else knows when to release information? The guy that you work for, Donald Trump. That's the truth. He, he knows a, how to do it He's a master of distraction. Yeah, he's not very smart. He's not very smart, but he knows how to use, he knows how to get to the carnality of people very well. Now, um, first of all, I, I am happy that, that, that you did what you did. I'm happy for, that you came out as anonymous, and I'm also happy that you came out and put a face on it because your job was pretty important with the administration, and having somebody at your level makes a difference. Now, the party, and, and I don't know if you, can, if you can help me understand this. Is the party as gullible as we think it is, or they're using their gullibility to hide who they really are? Oh, I'm, I'm going to, if I have to pick between the two, I'm going to say the latter. And it's pretty sad to see because a lot of these members of Congress, and I won't name them, but a, a number of senators and representatives that I knew well when I worked in the House of Representatives share my same personal opinions of Trump, Trumpism, and the direction the Republican Party has gone. But so few of them have spoken up. And for the same reasons that we didn't see more people speak up from the administration, they're scared. I mean, Trump has, has instilled fear in them that not only could they lose their jobs if they come out against him, but they'll, you know, he and his supporters will threaten their families and will threaten their futures. And and I can attest to the fact that those are real fears. I mean, when I unmasked myself, you know, I had to leave my home. I had to leave my job. I'd, I had to hire a full-time personal security detail because of the death threats uh, and move from location to location. Someone's got to play the violin for me. I knew that that was going to happen. But that's the state of dissent in America today. And that's the environment that Donald Trump has fomented with his hateful rhetoric. If I'd come out against George W. Bush, who I worked for and who I admire, uh, you know, if I'd done that 20 years ago or 15 years ago, you know, people would have attacked me politically and then life would have gone on. I wouldn't have been on the run to prevent myself from getting shot. Uh, but that's that's Donald Trump's America. That's the culture he's created. So, look, I'm still a Republican. I want to reform the GOP, and I'm sure we'll get into that. I'm still a Republican 
because of the ideas that I believe the Republican Party was founded upon, because I believe the party of Lincoln saved the Union. Uh, and ironically, the party of Lincoln may destroy the Union now if we don't fix it. And I want to be a part of that solution. But I cannot condone someone who leads that party and leads America into danger by pitting its citizens against one another. Interestingly, let me, let me ask this before I ask the, last, the, the most important question of this um, interview. Are you, do you think people, because everybody would tell you, Donald Trump lost the Senate, the House, and the presidency. So why, is, why, why do you fear him? Is it really that you don't fear him, but you fear those who are really his sycophants that they may actually hurt people? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Liz Cheney said something that I didn't know if I would hear a member of Congress say. Um, a few days ago, she said that there were members of Congress who wanted to impeach Donald Trump after the insurrection, but didn't because they quite literally feared for their lives. You know, you don't have to take it from me. Take it from Liz Cheney. I mean, she's saying her actual colleagues said they feared for their lives because they would go back home and worry that MAGA supporters would come to their house uh, because they'd shown themselves to be so violent. Now, we're not talking about all MAGA supporters. We're talking about oh, a sure. small subset, a very small subset of Trump supporters that are resorting to violence to express their political views. But even that small subset of millions of people is a hell of a lot of people. And that's scary. And, uh, you know, that we're even talking about that in, a, in America's democracy is breathtaking to me. I mean, this is the type of conversation we would have uh, about a third world country, yeah. you know, trying to deal with, uh, with turmoil from one authoritarian regime to another. I mean, we're talking about the world's oldest democracy right now. If that doesn't force people to look in the mirror, quite frankly, I don't know what does. Miles, let's get to the crust now as far as you're yeah. one of the leaders in a new organization. Uh, you're intent with all these folks now to do what? I don't know if to ask if you're trying to take over, re retake the Republican Party, or do you want to go with a third party? What's your intent? Well, Alberto, you started off the, uh, the interview, I think, making a really important point that in our democracy, it's crucial that we have healthy opposition parties, uh, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. I, I think it's in your interest to want the other party to have healthy discourse, open debate, and be reasonable. Because at the end of the day, to create a majority-making coalition in the United States, you pretty much have to reach across the aisle. Unless your party absolutely dominates in the election, you're going to have to reach across the aisle. So right now, even though the Democrats hold the Senate and the House and the White House, they still need Republican votes to do big things and to pass regular legislation. So we should all want the other party to be sane and rational and not secretly just root for our team and only our team. Unfortunately, right now, the GOP is sick. It is rotten to the core. And that shouldn't just be the concern of rational Republicans. It should be the concern of, of all Democrats. And I admire Joe Biden, despite the policies we may disagree on. I admire him for saying that in his first few weeks in office and saying that he himself wants a healthier Republican Party. So, look, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, I wouldn't quite use the word takeover. I think what we're really trying to be is a rational insurgency within the GOP. So if you think about the Tea Party as a right-wing insurgency, we want to be the common sense insurgency that fixes the party, brings it a little bit back towards the center and back towards principled governance so that we can work across the aisle and get things done. I mean, I can't believe that the idea of just getting things done is controversial. But of course, as soon as we announced this, you know, Trump came at us 
uh, you know, days ago, uh, assailing this effort. I mean, this is an effort to get people to work together and get the party back on track, not an effort to alienate people who voted for Donald Trump the first time or even the second time. We want those people too to say, all right, it's time to move beyond the person and move back to the principles. And that's not just a talking point, it's quite literally what we need to do. Every single day in the news, we just talk about the person, Donald Trump, who haunts the Republican party like a specter, like a ghost that influences all of their decision-making. A person shouldn't be influencing their decision-making, their core principles should be, whether that's limited government or free minds, free markets, free people, whatever you, you wanna say the GOP is about, that's what should influence its trajectory, not what one man thinks. And, and so that's what we're trying to do. And what our movement is gonna undertake is an effort to try to support the sane rational Republicans, oppose some of the radicals, and invest in what we call a deeper pro-democracy bench around the country. People who are really willing to defend our institutions, even if it means uh, political inconvenience. So that's our goal. We'll see if we're successful. And, and if we're not uh, successful in that and we can't reform the GOP, then, then maybe it's uh, you know, the more extreme uh, version of what you're talking about. Maybe we're you know, in Star Wars in the X-wing fighter, you know, fight, uh, fighters you know, going into the Death Star to blow it up. I mean, <laughs> we may have to detonate the Republican Party and create something new from the rubble if it won't reform. Well, you know, um, uh, first of all, I spoke to um, Bill Crystal a few days ago and Bill Crystal said, well, he's not a signature. He admires what uh, you guys are doing. But I think he sort of had the feeling that this was more that that the latter is what was going to be occurring as opposed to the former. I'm not sure. But um, in it, 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 it still baffles me that we we are here now. I think if I understand what you're saying, you're going to use 22 to try to bring in candidates that reflect what the GOP's tenets are supposed to be. And if that is unsuccessful, then going for 2024, you may have to take other measures. Did I, if, am I reading with, between the lines correctly? Yeah, no, I think you are. I mean, look, this is fungible in that, you know, events can really change the uh, the direction that we go. I mean, the presidential race is going to have an impact on it and, uh, you know, and how candidates do in 2022. But big picture, you've got the beats largely right, that we've got a couple of cycles here to see if we can fix the Republican Party. But if we can't, you know, we can't wait around forever and let radicalism corrupt the whole thing. I mean, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene should not be duly elected representatives of the United States Congress. Now, the, the people of Colorado have chosen her, and we hope we can convince those people, our neighbors, uh, to not do that again. But if we can't convince our brothers and sisters around this country to make smarter decisions about our representatives, then those of us who are ready to make those smarter decisions need to bind together, and that might be uh, through a third party. Will that hurt the GOP? Yeah, that'll probably hurt the GOP. It'll probably make it harder and steal votes away from the Republican Party. Uh, but, but quite frankly, I can't imagine supporting a GOP that allows something like January 6th to happen again. So we're gonna to have to monitor this clo closely. I mean, you know, really the, the fate of our democracy is what's at stake here. And I go back to, you know, that sounds like hyperbole to some, but no, no I'm, I'm blocks from, right. from where this, yeah, I'm blocks from where this happened. I mean, I was, you know, I was standing out there as people were storming the United States Capitol in MAGA hats. I mean, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I can only imagine it was similar to the feeling of being at ground zero as the towers came down. I mean, I can only, that's the only image that I can think of that was that 
you know, breathtaking that happened in this country in my lifetime. Um, and, and I think they're comparable. Well, let me tell you, um, I'm, I, for the characters that are in there, uh, young admin former administration officials like yourself, older stalwarts of the party, many of them whom uh, I really have a lot of respect for, I think you guys can pull it out. Please do pull it out because those very progressive folks, very liberal folks like myself, we want to have somebody that we can actually uh, that we can actually have real debates with. I think it is important. And all the interviews that I've done on the other side of the thing, that's, that's the thing that I've said. And in fact, I've wrote a book called It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors, because I understand something important that you're saying. And that is, if we want to accomplish big things in this country, we don't need 50 plus one. We have to have the buy-in of mm -hmm. most Americans. I know the Republican Party many times have not done that because of the way the Electoral College is set up. You really don't have to have that very much of a majority. But I think the country is happier. The country is more effective if we can actually have that. And I, I commend what you and your courts are doing because I think if it's not done, I'm from Central America, Panama. I know what it looks like. Most mm -hmm. Americans don't. I know what this I know I saw this for what it really was. I saw January 6th for what it really was. So what you're doing is hero's work and very important. So I commend you on that. Chief of Staff to the United States Secretary of Homeland Security, Miles Taylor, who also is anonymous from that viral New York Times article and the author of Anonymous, a warning, Anonymous. Uh, give me a closer statement. Hey, well, I appreciate it, my friend. Some days, I, some days I wake up wishing I was still anonymous. <laughs> but, uh, but look, you know, you made you made such a fantastic point at the end here. And I always tell people, uh, as much as they want to complain about Washington D.C. being broken, Washington is not what's broken. The founders designed a system very well that was meant to reflect the attitudes of the populace. Washington's not broken. We are broken. We are broken, and this come this goes down to the door-to-door -door grassroots level. That's why your book is important. That's why others' statements that we need to come together uh, across partisan lines in our communities are so important because that's really what's going to get us out of this mess. As insipid as it sounds, reaching across the aisles in our own houses and not in the U.S. House of Representatives is where this is going to start. So I hope people really take that to heart, and, and I'm grateful that you're spreading that message. Miles Taylor, it was my pleasure to have you on board. My friend, thank you so much. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. I, I want to make uh, some, uh, some statements here based on what I've been seeing in, and before I take anybody individually. I am as liberal as one can get. I am as progressive, well, not liberal, but progressive. I am, to put it bluntly, I consider myself a democratic socialist. And I can have a conversation with a right-wing Republican on, on issues where sometimes they have good ideas. And let me tell you what I'm trying to say here, why you don't just see me shut people out. Um, I believe in having government big enough to challenge any corporation, to challenge corporations, plural. That's my belief. I believe you have to have a government big enough to support people and make sure that they cannot be taken advantage of to have a great social safety net. As a Republican, I'm sure that Miles doesn't believe in that. I am sure there are a lot of Republicans out there that believe legitimately in small government. 
The thing about it is neither one is right or wrong. I know if you are willing to live within the constraints of having a small government, which also means less, uh, not good childcare, not good healthcare, and all of that sort of stuff, more in an individualistic nature. If most Americans, if the vast majority of Americans believe that, that is not evil or not evil. That is just a different belief system as far as how much you want to work in a collective. I personally believe that most people want to work in a huge collective where we can minimize risk on each other, where we can all work towards uh, getting all of us to elevate and when one falls, for all of us to be the, the ones who help those up. Republicans don't believe that, but that isn't inherently evil. That's just a different belief set. What right-wingers are doing is evil. When they want to be anti-democratic, that is evil. Now, he made one statement that I didn't refute because it was at the end of the conversation, and I probably wouldn't have anyhow. And that was the belief that somehow the way the founders created the Constitution, that it made it a, it, it created a good system for democracy. I am completely, I, I completely throw that away. Our constitution was designed to keep a minority in power. If you can, if you can appropriate lands in a particular manner and appropriate business or rather people in the right areas, our constitution was designed to empower the few. Okay, so I disagree with Miles on that, and I think reality points that out. So I just wanted to make those points before we close down. Now, uh, before we move any further, I just want to remind folks that this is a program that needs your support. So please, if you are on YouTube, please go ahead and click that Join button. If you are on YouTube, please click that Join button and become a part of our PDR Posse right now. If, if you join right this minute, I'll throw you up on the screen uh, at this minute. Now, if you are not on YouTube, if you are on some other channel, uh, please go ahead and consider clicking on politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube, politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. And what that will do, let's see if I got that in there, politicsdoneright, oops, wrong, wrong thing. Ah, wrong thing. Let me go ahead and, uh, and get the politicsdoneright.com, that YouTube, to join our PDR posse. So click on politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube to click on, uh, to get, to become a member of our PDR posse. Uh, you can get our cup designed by Bridge MCP, one of the leaders in our PDR Posse, by clicking on the link that I'm putting inside right now and get our cup. Support what we're doing. Support what we're doing, which is to make sure that democracy sees another day. Uh, you can also support us by becoming a patron. Uh, patron is one of those platforms that allow you to support. So politicsandright.com slash patron. Patron is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or you can support us via PayPal. PayPal is spelled, well, everybody knows how to spell PayPal. You can go ahead and get all our books. Our books that you see listed on the screen right now, you can get them in one place by just going to politicsandright.com slash books, politicsandright.com slash books. And that way you can support us through our books, our three books that are out there and a few others, How to Make America Utopia, Take Away the economy from those who rigged it, as well as, as I see it, class warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom, and uh, it's worth it how to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. And of course, if you want to get our stuff on YouTube, you can just click on that rack and get a t-shirt, a 
a hoodie, a mask, a book, whatever you want out of there to help support us as well. Or you can cut out the middle person and go to our store, politicsandright.com slash store. politicsandright.com slash store. We really need your support. We really do appreciate all of you who support us all of the times. Your support is invaluable to allow us to continue doing what we do. Anyhow, what I'm going to do first is I'm going to play Katie Porter. Katie Porter really decimated a CEO yesterday. CEO of a former, corp- a former um, company. And what was great about this is that she showed the lie that these guys tell continuously. It, it shows you how, in effect, the pharmaceuticals just used healthcare as a method of transferring wealth from you to the few. It's, they don't care about life. They don't care about really creating real drugs that's going to help you. And Katie Porter, I love Katie Porter. Katie Porter is one of the best congresspersons in the Congress, bar none. I want you to check this out, then let's take it on the other side. For too long, for too long, pharmaceuticals completely scare Americans about controlling the prices of drugs. If we do that, what's going to happen? We're not going to have any money for research and development, and we won't get the products that we need. It has always been a lie, and it behooved me why we don't have more politicians doing that. It's essential that they actually do that. Well, Katie Porter, we can always count on her to lay it down, to lay the law of the land. And I want you to listen to this. And please, make sure this that make sure as many people as possible you make see this. Because this is what's going to make Americans force their politicians to really force the pharmaceuticals for being the thieves that they are, for being the pilferers that they are. Check this out, then we'll take it on the other side. Mr. Gonzalez, how much did you spend, did Abby spend on litigation and settlements from 2013 to 2018? Uh, I, I don't have that number up hand. We'll be happy to give it to you. Okay, $1.6 billion, 2.45 billion, $1.6 in litigation and settlements. What about marketing and advertising? How much does Abby spend on that? Uh, well, marketing and advertising, we spend about $4 billion a year. Yep, 4.7. One billion. How about executive compensation? 2013 to 2018. 2013 to 2018. It's probably on average about 60 million dollars a year. Try 334 on for size. Now, how much did Avi spend on stock buybacks and shareholders? Stock stock buybacks and dividends to enrich your shareholders from 2013 to 2018. Well, stock buybacks, if you actually look at just pure stock buybacks, it would be about $13 billion. Stock buybacks uh, and dividends is the question, sir. Uh, dividends, I'd have to come back with that, a number for that over that period of time. $50 billion. So, Mr. Gonzalez, you're spending all this money to make sure you make money rather than spending money to invest in, develop drugs and help patients with affordable life-saving drugs. You lie to patients when you charge them twice as much for an unimproved drug, and then you lie to policymakers when you tell us that R&D justifies those price increases. The big pharma fairy tale is one of groundbreaking R&D that justifies astronomical prices. 
But the pharma reality is that you spend most of your company's money making money for yourself and your shareholders. And the fact that you're not honest about this with patients and with policymakers, that you're feeding us lies, that we must pay astronomical prices to get innovative treatments is false. The American people, the patients, deserve so much better. I yield back. That is exactly what we're talking about here. They make you believe that somehow what they're doing has something to do with innovation, something to do with making products. The truth of the matter is they are simply using medicine. They are simply using drugs as a method to move money, as a method to take your money away from you and give it to a few rich cats who own these stocks. It has nothing to do with healthcare. One of the things that I've said constantly is we have to come to the realization that there is nothing in, there is no nothing benevolent about pharmaceuticals. The medical care industry does not belong in the for-profit industry because in the for-profit industry, the sole purpose is to make money, not to get you healthy, not to make you a better person. It is solely to make money for people, and they use your health. They use your well-being as the transport mechanism to move your money to them. That is the transition phase. Move your money to them. We need to get the pharmaceutical companies outside of healthcare. We are the uh, for-profit healthcare. We need to get uh, the hospitalization out. We need to get all of healthcare out of the. Uh, for-profit domain because it is not about you. It is not about getting you healthy. They make money the, mo the more sick you are. If you are a healthy person not using healthcare, you are no use to them. Their sole purpose is to pill for you, to take your money. And when we understand that as a concept, we will start to rearrange our economy in such a manner that these thugs, these thieves that are the, the, the pharmaceutical companies that use our tax dollars to develop products and then rip us off as they sell it to us, we will start to be careful on how we start thinking about these companies as somehow being benevolent. They're not. They are simply mechanisms to take your money. Simply mechanisms to take your money. We have Bruce Pollard, the latest, greatest member of our PDR Posse. And I'm about to uh, uh, throw Bruce right into the limelight right now. But look, thank you so kindly, uh, Brother Pollard, for becoming our latest uh, PDR Posse member. Bruce is a great supporter in just about every fashion you can think of. So let's all, I know Bridge MCP is going to salute is going to salute Bruce Pollard right now because, again, she is the one who does a lot of that saluting. Anyway, Bruce, thank you so kindly for becoming a our latest PDR Posse member. Uh, para ver, let's get it up on the screen. Bruce Pollard, there you, where is it? Get there, get there. It'll be on the screen in a little bit. Anyway, folks, so look, thank you so kindly, Bruce, for being a member. Look, we have to understand what's going on in here. When it comes to pharmaceuticals, she showed that perfect setup. I want you guys to understand what you just saw from Katie Porter. R&D, $2.4 billion during that period. Expenses for lawyers and, and that sort of thing, $1.6 billion. So here we go. In close proximity, 
Expenses for lawyer fees and R&D, similar prices, 2.4 billion, 1.6. Advertising, twice as much as the R&D. 4.7 for advertising, 2.4 for R&D. So we spend more money asking people to buy our drugs, convincing people to tell their doctors, I want this drug. We spend more money, twice as much money there than we spend in investing in developing more drugs to make us healthy. And that is a pittance compared to what we extract and then return to the investor. It was $50 billion. So $2.4 billion in R&D, $550 billion to give back from the profits we make from pilfering you to the shareholder and to the executives. People, understand what's going on here. If you are in a system that allows that you are, I mean, people are dying. They can't afford their insulin. They can't afford their um, their, their, their drugs for, for lupus. They can't afford their drugs for diabetes. They can't afford all these things. Why? Because the prices are so high. And why? Because we are giving away 80% of all the monies coming in, not to R&D and research and all of that. We're just taking your money and saying, hey, rich people, it's yours. We use drugs, we use pharmaceuticals to take all the money from those idiots down there. I mean, it is so clear. But they spend so much money lying to you that somehow $2.4 billion spending for R&D is the reason those prices of drugs are so high. It's a lie. And until we are made very aware of it, and, and you know, it's actually worse than I just showed you there. Because even that R&D doesn't take into account that a lot of the development of the drugs have already occurred? Exactly. Bruce says, I paid to develop mRNA. Yes, you did. You did pay for that Moderna vaccine. All of us did. And if we could get that inculcated in people's mind, Peter Burgess says, it would have been good if Katy Perry had also addressed how much tax is paid by this company. You're right about that, Peter. I didn't do that. Uh, let's see. Bruce says, I paid for RNA. Uh, Bruce also says, do I have to do the math? Free to me as patient, but not the government, so not free to me as taxpayer. Exactamente. And executive bonuses, exactly right, Nanette Bird-Smith. Uh, let's see what else we got. Julie Van Assel says, uh, that's to Lucas. Uh, stepping away a few minutes early. Take care, br brother man. Uh, thank you for being here anyhow. Uh, let's see who else we've got here. Uh, Peter Burgess says, thank you. That piece from Katie Porter was very powerful. It was potent. It was potent. Norman Reynolds says, PDR Posse, welcome, BD Parler. My brother Reynolds is welcoming you as well, sir. Uh, let's see who, what else we got here. Insurance companies to ex We need to get rid of insurance companies completely. Enlarge the image of the calendar for better view. The calendar? The calendar? The calendar. Uh, explain to me what you mean by that. I don't know which calendar that I had on there. You know how that goes. Uh, just drop me a line. Uh, let's see. House only has 21 legislative days until summer. 
recess and don't come back until September 20th, which means we have that. Those are legislative days, 21 legislative days. That's probably turned out to be probably a couple months or so, maybe a month and a half or so. Uh, let's continue here, see what else I've missed from people. Michael Rondon saying, Berto, we could talk about polls regarding individual social safety net aspects, Medicare, Social Security, paid sick leave, etc. There are super majority polls. Uh, yeah, we know that. We've discussed that, Michael, about there being super majorities for people wanting the social safety net, and that's what I'm saying. We have the majority, and I, I'm ready to entertain the debate. I'm ready to tell people this is what you get if these are the things you want. Norman Reynolds says, the most effective communication was the bubble sizes. Master communication by Katie Porter. You know what? Uh, that is so right. That is so true, Norman. Because we could have said it is 10% larger, it's 80% larger. When she showed it in the bubbles, that was so powerful. But you know what is the problem? We have to get people to read these things. We have to get people to see. And that is why I ask all of you, share, 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 share. I have this video isolated in, in the blog post associated with this. Share it. Make sure a lot of people get a chance to see it. Uh, Bruce says, I don't hate nobody. I just wish we could all live in peace with a future for our species. I agree with you 100%. And that's why I, tell, that's why I end my show all the time. Love you all. Thank you all. Because I really mean that, even those that agree with me, I think if we start speaking things, we start acting out on how we speak, right? Uh, we start acting out on how you speak. You see somebody like Lucas too, which is also, what, what is he, Tax 288 or whatever else he calls himself. I could have a coffee with him, and by the time I'm done with the coffee, he's probably one of us progressives, you know. Pretty much sure of that. All right, let's see what else we got here. Legislative days are, okay, uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, I think we're, we're cool there. But anyway, folks, please remember, support the show. Go to politicsandright.com slash YouTube, politicsandright.com slash YouTube. But if you are on YouTube, please, please, please click that join button just like Bruce just did to become a member. It's very inexpensive, and what you're doing is a good thing. I promise you, diligency with your monies to make sure that we can continue to do so. You see the production that we do here. And I, I tell you what, the work that we do here, this one-person operation here with one huge screen, two big screens, uh, stuff to uh, mixers and all of that, turned. Th this is what we call efficiency in action. I mean, there are big studios that, that are out there with all kinds of equipment that do the same thing that have to have several people. We do it on a measly, measly, measly budget. On a measly budget. I can say one of the good things about it. As, as an engineer, I kind of understand how to hook up all this crap myself. Um, but So help us out. Help, help, help keep this stuff going. Because we need to have a lot of people doing what I'm doing here. And well, actually, the next book that I'm writing, I think the next, either the next book or the one after the next one, is going to be how to kind of do stuff like this because we need a lot of people doing this before it's too late. So please support support me. Please go to politicsunright.com slash YouTube. Join the PDR Posse. Please click on the join button as well. Or you can become a patron. I need a lot of patrons and I don't have enough at all. We just got a, another patron, another person that became a member. Thank you so kindly. I was about to clock out. I, have, I want. We need. Give me three more. Give me three more. Let me go ahead and put you up on the screen, my dear. You don't know how much that is appreciated. You don't know how much to see. There's nothing like getting support from your listeners. It 
it it makes the 16 hours a day not seem like 16 hours a day. I tell you that from the heart. Because sometimes at night when you're out there and you're you're cutting a video, you guys can see sometimes on the videos, my eyes look like it's like, what the hell is wrong with his eyes? You know? Uh, and it's really because, you know, you, you know you have one more thing that you want to get out there, one more thing that you want to get out there, and you, you, you're doing those videos and you say, well, you know what? I want folks to see this because this makes a difference. When they see this and for all the people that are going to see it, it's going to make a difference. And you're out there and you're saying, you know, it's the middle of the night and you're telling yourself, no, that video is going to make a difference. Thank you so kindly, Becky F. Becky F is our newest person who became a member. Becky F, thank you so kindly for becoming a member. Is anybody else going to join Becky F before we leave the program today? Becky F is going to show up on the screen right now as well. I thank you so kindly, Becky F, for becoming our latest subscriber. And I'm pretty sure Bridge MCP is going to tell you, thank you, Becky, for becoming a supporter. But anyhow, folks, like I said, you would not imagine how it feels in the heart when you have your listeners, your watchers, your people who watch your program support you. It's empowering. And it makes you want to work that much harder. And when those eyes want to close, you got to say, I got to do one more. Got to do one more. So anyhow, got to get out of here. I want to thank you so much for becoming a part of the PDR, those of you that have joined. I want to ask any others that want to join, even when we get off screen here, you can still go ahead and join. I'll acknowledge you if I can find you because YouTube doesn't make it easy to do that. But again, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Bruce says, joining PDR Posse was your birthday present. Thank you, brother. But, you know, Bruce is such a hell of a supporter. You know, Bruce just goes ahead and says, all right, I'm going to support this. Thank you so kindly, guys. Anyhow, we got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willies. This is Politics Done Right, and you know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.